You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. by decade it's presented by DraftKings. my name is david schuster i am host of the sharpshooters podcast on the basketball podcast network and i'm joined today by two gentlemen who will now introduce themselves what's going on guys it is jerem uh one of the co-hosts of the windy city benders podcast over on the hockey podcast network and i'm tanner i'm also a co-host on the windy city benders podcast and once again, this podcast series podcast is named Dynasty by Decade. It's brought to you by DraftKings. And we are here to talk about a golden, golden time in Blackhawks history. And that was, of course, them winning three Stanley Cups in five years, the seasons ending in 2010, 2013, and 2015. And guys, I think we can all go back in time. I know you guys want to go back even further in time. You want to go all the way back to when they almost won the cup in 1992. So why don't you start off back then, and then I'll pick it up a little bit closer before they started winning cups, literally. Yeah, I think that what a lot of people don't realize with Chicago hockey is there was this golden era with this team before the, you know, the latest dynasty, the 2010 through 2015 team. You had back-to-back cup appearances. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the job done. I think, I believe it was Pittsburgh both times, including uh, Pittsburgh sweeping them. Yammer Yager, Mario Lemieux, absolute beast of a team. There was no getting past that. And then after that, it was kind of game over, yard sale. Everybody was on the block and ready to move. Lost a lot of true legends that I think a lot of people, newer fans don't realize really truly played for this team. Um, you had Chris Chelios at Belfort, uh, Tony Monte, Jeremy Roenick, all those guys. Um, and then it took a little while for us to get back into the playoffs. Um, I yeah. would say well, it was a 2010 or 2020 or 20, it was, uh, 2000. It was the, the Hawks had ended a 23 year streak of making the playoffs at the end of the 97 season. And then they, it took them four more years to get back into the playoffs in which they only made one appearance. And then that was Oh one Oh two. And nothing really great happened there. And then they didn't see the playoffs again until they had basically their big, their big guns in Kane and Taves and the team pretty much set up from the early 2000s drafts. And it's just, then it was just amazing from then on out. (laughs) Hey guys, let me take you even further back because now you've sparked my memory, which is sort of a scary thought, but I'm going (laughs) to take you back to, and and I don't even know if you guys were alive back then, the mid eighties when the Hawks had some really good teams. Unfortunately, they played in the era of the Edmonton Oilers and the Edmonton Oilers, when they won their four cups, was probably the greatest dynasty. Well, one of the greatest dynasties, I should say, in hockey. And the Hawks had great teams. I mean, they had Dennis Savard in his prime. They had Steve Larmer in his prime. They had Al Secord in his prime. They had great defensemen. They had wonderful goaltending. 
but they couldn't get past what was, you know, the best team in hockey, obviously, with Gretzky and Curry and Messier and Coffee and 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 Grant Fuhrer in, in the pipes. So, I mean, that was what I thought was the greatest hockey that I'd ever see until, of course, then things started building up, you know, after, uh, you know, to, starting in 2000, um, when the Hawks won their first cup in 2010. But anyway, here's a run-up to that those specific cups. The Hawks did not even reach the postseason, like you guys said, from 2001 to 2008, but a combination of some shrewd moves, trades, free agencies, sprinkled in with a little luck, of course, gave them um, the nucleus that helped them win those three cups. And I just jotted down some notes here. Dale Talon was the general manager who initially started all this. And to this day, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves, but he made a lot of these moves. And of course, a lot of the draft picks and that started the movement. Stan Bowman then came in, Scotty Bowman's son, and he put the frosting on the cake. Now, Duncan Keith, a Hall of Fame player to be, of course, still playing a defenseman. He was drafted in the second round in 2002. Then his longtime defense of partner Brent Seabrook. He was drafted the following season. First round in 2003, Patrick Sharp came over in a trade from the Flyers. Marion Hossa, who unfortunately for him, lost in the cup finals with both Pittsburgh and Detroit, but he got over the hump by coming over to the Hawks. He signed as a free agent and what a free agent signing that has been. Maybe one of the best free agent signings in Chicago sports history. Absolutely. Uh, Joel, Joel Quenville replaced Dennis Savard. Dennis, great guy, great player, Hall of Famer, all that kind of good stuff, but he wasn't really cut out to be the guy who gets you from point A to point C. So they really dumped him unceremoniously at the time as head coach a few games into the 2008 season. Um, but the real lottery was won back-to-back drafts in 2006 and 2007. Jonathan Taze, Captain Sirius, was drafted number three overall in 2006. And then Patrick Kane, who still amazes me, continually one of the greatest players I ever hoped to see the number one pick overall in 2007 so when you combine all that all those names that I just made mention of and I sorry to be a filibuster there um, (laughs) that, that put that started putting everything together now they didn't win right away you know they they got close but then come the 2010 season and we'll start talking about that momentarily then they started winning it and what a joy it was absolutely I mean even just I remember I was able to go to the first home game for Patrick Kane. It was against the Detroit Red Wings. And you can just see the magic that was on the ice and what was brewing in Chicago in just that moment where it was insane just watching him end a game in the shootout against Dominic Hasek, who's probably one of the best goalies of all time. And you just you just see that there's there's a little bit of a turning point in Chicago and things are are about to be amazing and just unreal. Yeah, you knew something special was coming. Um Not a lot of people, I think, realize what potential Jonathan Taves was going to bring to the table because he was drafted the year before. He played uh, a year at North Dakota University. Um, He didn't make that jump right away. So I think he kind of was like an afterthought, not per se, like, you know, people didn't think he was going to be great. I just think people kind of forgot about him because like Kane was thrown right into the spotlight right away. But bringing those two together, you just felt as a fan that, we were about to see something special. I don't know if anybody could have imagined it was going to be as fast as it was. A conference finals appearance, their rookie season. I, I don't think anybody anybody that told you they expected that to happen is a straight-up liar. <laughs> yeah, and we should remind everybody that this Dynasty by Decade uh, podcast is presented by DraftKings. We're talking about the Blackhawks, their three Stanley Cups in five seasons. 
And, you know, it's interesting. I'm going back to when Patrick Kane was first drafted, you know, what was he, 18, 19 years old, whatever he was yeah. at the time. And, and, you know, you saw the skill right away, but he was very young, very, you know, and I hate to use the word, but I will, a little on the immature side until he grown, grew into what he has now become, which is, again, one probably the greatest American-born player ever, in my estimation. But but he also um, didn't have any place to live. And a lot of people don't know this. He lived in Stan Bowman's basement, I believe, his rookie season. You know, he's just a single guy. I mean, his parents came to town. He's obviously the pride of Buffalo and all that kind of good stuff. But he lived in Stan Bowman's basement for the first year. And, and the Bowman family sort of took care of him. Dennis Savard also was very close with Patrick Kane. I know all the players, when, when Savard was let go felt really bad for him but Savard actually made it a little bit easier because you know I'm sure they took care of him monetarily of course mm -hmm. but they also you know made it sound like hey this is probably the best thing for you and the organization and Joel Quenville was another part of the frosting on the cake oh yeah yeah Savard it's it was a painful, I think, even as a fan to kind of see that move so I can only imagine what the players who who were close to him how that turned out because in, in reality, looking back at it, he was definitely a good transitional coach for the Hawks. I think the second that uh, Joel Quinville comes available, I mean, you if you know that you have this team that has potential to be a great dynasty or, you know, one of the best teams in NHL history, you got to make that move. And it sucks that, you know, our, our Hall, Hall of Famer uh, ambassador of this club kind of got shown the door. And like, as you mentioned earlier, just like, an unceremonic uh, way. Um, it sucks, but like you said, it was all for the best and it's exactly what this team needed. All right. So let's get into the 2010 season. I mean, they came close a little bit beforehand and you can feel it building. You know, oh, I've yeah. been around, I've been around a lot of teams that have won very fortunately uh, in my quote unquote career, I've covered 12 championships in Chicago, um, six with the Bulls, of course, three with the Hawks, one each with the Bears, Cubs and White Sox. And, and before each and every championship, you could almost feel at least at some juncture of that season that you're really going to see something very special. And I felt that in 2010 because of all the moves that the organization had made. Now, the Hawks were not the President's Cup champion that season, and the President's Cup champion was the team that has the most points. They were second, second to San Jose. And we'll talk about them, how they went up against San Jose and proved who was the best team in just a minute here. But the Hawks finished with 112 points that season. San Jose had 113. Um, Patrick Kane had 88 points on 30 goals. Anti Niemi, a lot of people think Corey Crawford was the goaltender for all three cups. Uh-uh, Anti Niemi was the goaltender, and he came up big in quite a few of those series, if I remember correctly. And so he was yeah. the goaltender. And, and, you know, your thoughts, guys, before we get into the first series, was which, which, which was against Nashville. But I'll let you guys have the floor for a minute yourselves. I mean, the, the Hawks are just – that whole year that you were talking about, like there was that whole turning point where you feel like, you know, that something special is happening. And I remember specifically it was some game in against Calgary when it was like either October or November and they went down five to nothing. And it was the first period. And you're just like, God, like this is, this is terrible. But like you watch the game happen and, and unfold a little bit more and the Hawks start clawing back and you start to feel like this little kind of spark, this little magic. And, 
the Hawks make their way back all the way till five to five. And then Brent, and Brent Seabrook just ends it in overtime. And I, and I immediately knew, it. I was like, they're going to win the cup this year. Like there's no stopping this team. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like just watching what they did and then going up against Nashville in the, in the first round, you just, I mean, they've become such a rival to us. And then I think that was probably one of the biggest parts of it too, was the way that that series unfolded with just like the whole, like Hosa going into the box and the game still being able to get tied and then just winning it in overtime and just how incredibly amazing that felt as a Chicago fan to like move on from there. And Jeremy, I'm sure you can like attest to that. Like we were pretty much the same age and like we weren't friends at the time, but we, everyone in the Chicago area, if you played hockey or not, like really felt it. And especially like, like in our high school hockey age, like I think everybody was going absolutely insane about it. Yeah. Um, like you said, like there was never a moment in that season that I didn't think that this team would reach the top of the top of the mountain. You said 112 points. Like, like it's just insane. Like it was, there was, even if they were down in a game, they might not have always won those close games, but you know what? They put up a fight. They made sure that they were there and they took care of business when it needs to be. We've had the pleasure of talking to a couple of players from that team and they all say the same thing. It was just, they can't explain it, but they knew the second they hit the ice that it was, it was their game to lose. Like it was, it was all on them. It wasn't going. You know, it's interesting, Tanner, you talked about in that game winner against Calgary. And I actually forgot about that. I'm sorry if I interrupted um, because Seabrook came up big as yeah. we go forward in all these cups with a lot of overtime goals. We'll talk about that in just a second, but back to the, to the Nashville series, you know, a lot of these series that the Hawks ended up winning, they fell behind in the first game. They lost that first game to Nashville. It was at the United Center, um, and the Preds won by scoring four goals in the third period. And I remember even then, and listen, I grew up with a lot of Chicago teams that choked over the years. And 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 you have to understand the fan base, even though we all thought, okay, well, the Hawks are going to win because they're the best team, which they ended up being, of course. But when your team falls behind, even the first game of a series, there's this little crappy feeling that you feel like, oh, my God, they're going to blow it. And and yeah. I know a lot of people did feel that way. And Nashville gave them a really good series. I mean, the Hawks had to come from behind even in game five at the United Center. They trailed four to three late in that game. Patrick Kane scored with by after pulling the goaltender, Niemi. He scored at 1946, and then Marion Hosa had the game winner, and then they went down to Nashville and won the series by winning game six, five to three. And I got to say this, one of the things that I was very fortunate about in covering all these teams is I got to go to all these cities, and Nashville is a cool, cool city. There's a lot of great music. There's a lot of good uh, bars. There's a lot of cute women. So I've been very lucky to go to Nashville on a few occasions. Nothing wrong with covering a winning team, guys. <laughs> I, I wish we could travel with the team as well. I would love to do that. <laughs> um, I think what's too what's a really important thing to say about that that comeback game in game five, too, is that all happened. Kane ties it up when the Hawks run a five-minute penalty kill. Marion Hosa takes a five-minute major. He's in the bots and from I remember hearing stories about him, he just was fuming that he was in the box the entire time. And when he was able to come out in overtime, it was like a kid in like ready to go run into the candy store and go. And just that whole setup from, from Sopol over to, over to Hosa for the win. Like it just, I was at home and it felt like I was at, at the stadium watching that game happen. It was just so exciting to watch. 
Yeah, I remember that that Hosa hit was also a pretty questionable one. I think a lot of Nashville fans were pretty pissed about that one, especially when he ends up uh, ending the game in overtime. Um, but man, yeah, what an incredible way to start the playoffs for the Blackhawks there. Then uh, they ended up playing Vancouver, which I I remember like the year prior we had played Calgary and we had played it in like it was a hard fought series and I thought that we were going to end up facing them again and like then Vancouver comes out of nowhere and ends up being the team I think we ended up butting heads with the most like in these few playoffs like this one and then the next year and things like that and like I just remember it's just a bloodbath basically like Vancouver and and black and Chicago just absolutely hated each other during these this these series and this is probably the one that like kicked it all off I mean the Hawks ended up losing that first game but just end up winning three in a row and dropping one and and then winning the last one to move on but it's just the Hawks are just insanely good and Vancouver had an incredible team too where they had they had Roberto Luongo the Sedin twins Ryan Kessler like Kevin Biaxa like the team was pretty stacked as well and there's just incredible hockey being played all around in like the Western conference of these playoffs. Yeah. Uh, you know, Vancouver, I sort of equated, like I talked about earlier, the Blackhawks just could never get by the Edmonton Oilers when they were in their heyday. Vancouver had, as you're right, uh, Tanner, Vancouver had some great teams, great teams, but they couldn't get by the Hawks in a lot of those playoff series. And it's so funny because the players and, and, you know, even though they hated each other, they really did hate each other when they were playing against each other after the game. This is one thing I've always learned about hockey players. They could club each other over the head with sticks, you know, at 1959 of the third period, but then 20 minutes later, they're pretty cool. And they're, they're all mellowed out. So that's the beauty of hockey and a lot of the Canadian players, but Vancouver gave them a great series. And, you know, it's another thing that's really interesting in a lot of these playoff series, the Hawks were a better road team than they were home team because both games that Vancouver won in that series was at the United center. Um, but Dustin Bufflin came up big. I think he had a hat trick in one of those series. Tays had a hat trick yep. also. I think all, all three goals coming on the power play in, in, in a, what was a game four in Vancouver. So, yeah, that, that was a fun series. And once again, fortunate enough to go out to Vancouver. Beautiful city, beautiful landscape around there. Very lucky in, in that aspect. What was the atmosphere like that? You know, kind of you were able to be in the arena, kind of see like was Vancouver like were the Hawks as hated as it was? Oh yeah, played? oh yeah. As much as much as uh, you know, and you remember the games at the United Center when the fans would go Luongo, Luongo, get on his case. Of course, he won the first game five to one, and he stood on his head in that game. Back in in you know out in Vancouver, it was Nieme, Nieme, you know that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean the, those are passionate fans. It goes without saying. And and uh, I wasn't there for when they won the Olympic gold medal game out there, you know, a few years after that. But yeah, the, the atmosphere in Vancouver is pretty darn good. Pretty, that's pretty great. I got a, I got a, like tip the tip of the cap. It was a great like, um, like rivalry that we had. I think it's kind of died out at this point, just because neither team has been as good as they were in the early 2010s. But man, it was a, those were always just fun to watch. Um, after after that series, though, the Hawks moved on and they played, like you said, the President's Trophy winning team, the San Jose Sharks. And surprisingly enough, <laughs> the Hawks made pretty quick work of them. I mean, they only they swept them four games. And I don't know if anybody was expecting it. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was probably going to go about seven. 
Well, you know, again, I was out there for those games as well. And I just remember, you know, it would be really raucous when the game started. The Hawks would take the lead. Uh, I think they, uh, Niemi stood on his head in the first game, if I remember correctly. I think he had 40 some odd saves. And, and, and the crowd just got very quiet as the Hawks, especially in the game two, when they, uh, the Hawks won four to two. So, listen, that's the mark of a great team um, that went on the road and shut the damn fans down, which they did. And then even in, in game four, when they wrapped it up back at the United Center, I think the Hawks trailed 2 nothing, but they scored four unanswered goals in that game. And they just swept out, like you said, uh, Tanner, they swept them out. Yeah. And that really, to me, was almost the Stanley Cup finals because these were the two best teams in hockey all season. So yeah. I figured the finals, which, you know, I was lucky enough to go to Philadelphia also, would be a piece of cake. It wasn't, but it was, and honestly, it was sort of a piece of cake against San Jose. Yeah, um, so I was lucky enough to be at game four um, for that San Jose Sharks series. And I just remember them going down to nothing. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, I jinxed them um, being there. But <laughs> I think what a big moment of that series uh, that needs to, be, needs to at least be mentioned is Duncan Keith taking the puck to the face, losing. Oh, um, oh I, I can't remember the exact amount of teeth. But seven. Hit, yeah, seven. Was it five? Yeah. I'm trying to remember it. Was it seven or five? Uh, I'll just, let's just split the difference. And see the <laughs> but yeah, so he, he missed, like, I want to say maybe a shift and a half and he came back. And I think that really like put that team back to like, you know what? All right, let's do this. You know, our, one of our captains is out here taking shots to the face, coming back. Let's, let's wrap this up and let's go to the final. And then the final of course is in Philadelphia and listen, Stanley cup finals are, they're, they're bar none, just as good as anything else. I mean, the, the excitement, you know, you got the national media all over the place. You got them from more than one country, more than just Canada and the United States. There were people that came from Europe and, and elsewhere on the planet to that series. Now, I remember going to the games in Philadelphia and what they say about Philadelphia fans is 100% true. <laughs> they are vulgar fans. And I do remember a couple of Blackhawk people fans wearing, you know, the red jerseys or the white jerseys. And the Flyer people in the hallways were throwing punches at them. So, you know what? I decided I'm going to walk very quietly and not show who I am from Chicago because, you know, I value my face and my teeth. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go all the way to the final because, you know, we got to game six. And it went to overtime. Now, if the Hawks win, of course, the game, they win the cup. And what they did with the media is they lined us up. And I didn't see Kane's goal. Of course, nobody saw Kane's goal, actually. It's the most iconic goal in Blackhawks history. No one saw it. <laughs> and by the way, we still don't know who's got the puck. I mean, that's one, that's one of the mysteries in life. I think Kane has it somewhere. That's my guess. But um, they lined up the media outside the rink. Okay, and we're watching the game on this little TV, and this is sort of, sort of a foreshadow of what happened in Boston three years later. And you know, he scored the goal, but nobody knew about it. Not any, you know, the fans or anybody. And we're watching this little black and white TV in the hallway, you know, about fifty yards off the rink. Then, of course, you know, they determined that he went that that the, was a good goal, of course. And you know, they parade on the ice and they you know party a little bit, yada yada yada. And then they let the media 
And I was really lucky to be part of this three different times on the ice. And I was always scared that I was going to break my neck slipping, but it really wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, I actually had traction, believe it or not. And the first person I actually talked to was uh, Lieutenant Governor, what was his name? I'm terrible on names. Um, whatever. He was big black hawk <laughs> man. I can't think of his name. I can think That's of the right. hawk names, but I can't think of the politicians. And I was doing live shots you know, back into the studio, uh, my cohort, Jay Sawaski, who's really big into hockey, he was doing the show back there. And I, I got all the players on, whether it was Tane or Kays or Bufflin or Sharp or, or you know, Seab I got them all on. So, I mean, that was just a cool, cool, cool experience. And then, you know, we went and partied after that. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to let them, you know, have all the fun. <laughs> we partied after we did all our work and then, you know, got a, like about an hour or two of sleep and then took the plane ride home. Um, I'll let you pick up and then I'll tell you about the aftermath back in Chicago. But go ahead, guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, I can't imagine how it would be to be in the locker room with a team that just won the cup, especially one that just ended the longest Stanley Cup drought in, in the NHL at the time and just how incredibly electric that locker room probably was and i'm sure there's a lot of things that could be said that probably shouldn't be said <laughs> like what's going on but it just how incredible that that entire team that entire year just the way it all ended was just picture perfect basically um it was also really cool too because with that overtime winner it was the first over uh, Stanley Cup to be awarded on an, in the overtime period since 2000 which i believe was the new jersey devils that won that year so, right, so, so I'm, I'm sorry, uh, forgive me. The aftermath, and, and I was told that, you know, Chicago, it was, it was almost like back in the Chicago fire when they were going to tear the damn city down. And, and I didn't get back there until mid-morning the next morning after getting like a couple hours at best sleep. But really what the cool thing was, being the first of the three cups, I guess wherever the cup went, the media tried to follow, and I wasn't part of that, at least not initially, but I think, you know, the first place was somewhere, because they always used to fly into what was called Signature, which is a, um, a special area of the airport, you know, where they um, had charter flights. And then I guess they started in Rosemont and snaked their way back to downtown, and wherever the cup went, the media tried to follow, and, oh, I saw the cup, I saw the cup here, I saw the cup there. And so really it was almost like, where's Waldo, but it's where's the Stanley cup. Mm -hmm. And then it made it, you know, the rounds to all the different places, all the media outlets it came to where I was working at the score at the time, it came over there and we took pictures and all that kind of good stuff. But it was just such a cool feeling, you know, even though I had covered all those bulls championships before that, there was something special about that Hawks championship because they say the hardest championship to win is in hockey, the Stanley cup because of the travel and, and, you know, the overtimes and all that kind of good stuff. And then they had the parade of course. And they said, and I believe it, they said there were 2 million people that were in downtown Chicago that day. I believe it. And I remember it was hotter than hell. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and so, and they ended up in grand park and all that kind of good stuff. And, Listen, they got it down pat because they did it two more times after that, but we're wrapping up the first Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, after that, like, we just, we know what kind of happened to the team. It was, it was a little bit of a, a pull apart that they had to do, trade off some guys and ended up being a sad couple of years. But I mean, you can't count the Hawks out after that. Like, we saw that they came back like stronger than ever in 2013. And, and, that's where they, they pick up just where they left off in 2010. They end up just winning another cup and 
it's all just history at this point, but you guys want to hit on any of the shortened season. Yeah. So um, going into that 23 season, it was a lockout shortened season. And when we talked about before, like with all these cup winning teams, that there was always a moment or like there was a feeling that this team was going to be special. Um, This one year was a, was a pretty obvious with, uh, with the amazing, incredible start to uh, the season, which I believe was a what 28 game uh, point streak. I always 27. Yeah. I keep always get that number mixed up there, but they didn't, they didn't lose a game in regulation for the first 20, 27, 28 games of the season. And right there, it's kind of like you're going into the short season. You know, you have to pick up points as many points as possible, whether it's an overtime or a regulation win and all that. And this team, this team did it. And they cruised to their president's uh, trophy, which at the time I was a little nervous because it was a bad omen for a while that whoever won the president trophy was knocked out either in the conference finals or fairly early. I want to go back real quickly on to the 2010 team, because yeah. obviously, you know, we gave, we gave some of the name players their credit, which they de- definitely deserve. But I mean, that was such a good team with so much great chemistry. And I just want to talk about some of the other players. And I got close with a lot of these guys. Yeah, we talked about Kane Taze, Keith Seabrook, Osa Sharp, and Bufflin. Chris Versteeg was part of that before he came back a second time later on. Troy Brower, Andrew Ladd, Dave Boland, and we'll talk about him upcoming in this next Stanley Cup. Brian Campbell was a great defenseman at that point. A young Nicholas Yarmelson joined the team that season. And Adam Burrish was, I think, one of the lightning rod players on that team. He held that, that locker room together whenever there was any adversity and was so funny and so good with the media. I just had to give him a little creed here. Um, but yeah, a lot of those players, unfortunately, like you said, because of the salary cap, that's why they probably didn't win for a couple of years because they lost a lot of players that helped them win in 2010. But, you know, to, to Bowman's credit with his father's help, I'm sure they <laughs> stitched it all back together. And in, two thir- in 2013, after they finally came back from the lockout, then it was off to the races again. Yeah. So, um, so again, um, just this podcast is again, is presented by DraftKings, uh, the dynasty by the decades, um, real cool series going on. And obviously there's a lot to talk about with the hot. So 2013, um, yeah, I would jump right into the playoffs. I think, um, with that one, cause the short season, you know, it speaks for itself what the hots did and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they've started it off. Uh, I want to pull this up really quick uh, against Minnesota who, has always the Hawks have a feel of the past couple seasons. The Hawks always faced Minnesota. Hawks always knocked Minnesota out. I feel Minnesota sees us more as a, as a rival. Um, and it does not show it on paper. The Hawks won that series four to one, but it was always a tough series against Minnesota. And there's many times where I was a little nervous that this uh, might end a little bit sooner than it should. Yeah, uh, Patrick Sharp came up big in a couple of those games with some really big goals. Brian Bickle, who was now part of the Hawks' nucleus at that point, such a good guy, um, he also came up big. The next series was actually um, the biggest of the series, even before they got to the finals. They got down 3-1 to to Detroit, and I remember – 
there was such gloom and doom. Like I talked about panic at different times of series that the Hawks ended up winning. But after they were down, after Detroit won the two games at the Joe Lewis Arena, then that place was a dump. Um, and I was there for those games. And I remember driving back because we were going, we drove to Detroit and drove back. Man, my station was too cheap to even put me up at a hotel there. We had to drive back and forth. Um, but anyway, I remember driving back and I was talking with Jade Zawoski again, who was doing the postgame show. And I said, you know what, Jay, I just got the sneaky feeling they're going to win this series. They're, they're just too talented. They're a better team than Detroit. Even though of the rivalry, I just think that they're going to come back and win this series. And sure enough, they did. Andrew Shaw, another big part of, of the cup that season going forward. He had a couple of goals in game five, game six back in Detroit again. And, you know, it was nerve wracking because the Hawks trailed 2-1 into the third period, but they scored three unanswered goals to win that game. And then they came back and won it in game seven and foreshadowing Brent Seabrook, yep. the, game, the game winner in overtime. And Seabrook, you know what? I don't know if he's going to make the Hall of Fame like Duncan Keith, but if he doesn't, I'll always remember him for big, big, big goals in his career. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the biggest ones right there. Absolutely. I think Jeremy and I typically agree that if uh, there's numbers going up in the rafters that Seabrook has, should be one of them along with like a double retirement with like Chris Chalios, like just how his leadership alone, like even during that series, there's a point in time when Taves is visually frustrated in the box and he's just so like pissed off at everything that's going on. And you see Seabrook skate over there, calm down. And then they get back right back into the game. Um, I was going to say, like, I didn't think that you could ever count the Hawks out because even two years prior when they just barely made the playoffs and they were going against the President's Trophy winning Vancouver Canucks at the time, they went down 3 nothing in that series and pushed that all the way to 7. So there was plenty of times when even the analysts, like, on TV were just saying, like, you can't count them out. Like, every game's been a battle. It's, it's not an easy easy win any, any way out of this, like, at all. And so – just having the Hawks come back. I remember Nicholas Yalmerson, he actually had a goal disallowed and then that went into overtime and then Seabrook was able to end it, which was just unbelievable. So then they move on the conference finals in Los Angeles. And, and really this was a really uh, hyped up series because these were the two best teams in hockey over the last bunch of years. I mean, the Hawks won some cups, but LA won some cups also, you know, and, and Sutter was still coaching there. I do believe at the time, but the Hawks made sort of quick work of that series to a lot of people's surprise. They won the series ultimately in five games, game five going double overtime. And by the way, for, for you know, unlike, of course, the regular season where they have the five-minute overtime and then they have the shootout, playoff hockey, it could go all, all, all night. And it's not really good on the bladder, but besides that, it's exciting as all heck. And, and, and Patrick Kane did score the game winner in game five and they moved, uh, moved on to the finals yet again, guys. Yeah, that was, and that's that game will always hold a special place in my heart too, because um, actually our group of friends, we were up at my, uh, my place in Michigan and we're the only ones on the lake. And except for my cousin who was on the other side of the lake. And when the Hawks scored that goal, he called us up because he's like, I hear screaming going on over there. Is everything okay? The guys were just, it was like, we were at the United center. We were just cheering, doing the heartbreak celebration, like Kaner out there. And I mean that right there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it was a, that moment kind of too kind of hit you like how lucky we've been so far to just see these fantastic teams and give us these moments like this all over 
uh, constantly. And then obviously going on to the cup final, that made it just even more sweeter. Yeah, I mean, even with that overtime goal that Kane scored, that that was his hat trick goal of that game, which was it just goes to show how incredible Patrick Kane is, and for one, but like LA, like you were saying with LA, like they had just also won the cup the year prior, so you had these two dynamite teams going against each other, and then they end up going up against Boston, who had won the cup in between those two years. So you just have like the three most recent cup teams, like all together. I can't remember who Boston played in their conference finals oh, the conference finals was, was it like pittsburgh, pittsburgh probably and they swept them yeah so it was just like you you have like the three dynamos like going up against each other basically so the hawks have the hardest road la and then boston and what an incredible series boston it ended up being <laughs> i just remember um was it toronto that had took out a full page ad just to thank the hawks for for winning the <laughs> cup against boston the redemption yeah. I was going to say, you know, what made that that Stanley Cup final so special was two of the original six. Yeah. Um, and so it was a throwback to, you know, a time when I was growing up when, you know, I, I was part of the original six as a kid and, and watching all those games with, you know, of course, Boston and, and the Rangers yeah, and Detroit, of course, and Toronto. Anyway, that series against Boston. Two really, really good teams. Boston was a really good team as well. They're a very physical team. And that series was not for the faint of heart because there was a lot of overtimes, including the very first game, if I remember, three overtimes. Again, my my bladder got a real workout that postseason. (laughs) Andrew Shaw scoring the game winner in triple overtime. I think game four, the Hawks won it six to five. Again, overtime. Brent Seabrook yet again winning a game in overtime. Yes. And uh, uh, let's see, the Hawks won game five. Patrick Kane uh, had a couple of goals in that one. And I'll tell you a story about game six when they ultimately won it. And much like uh, when I talked about that series against Philadelphia, when Kane scored his game winner, I didn't see that one. Well, the Hawks, as everybody knows, who's a Hawk fan, they scored the two goals in 17 seconds. First, it was Bickle. Then it was Boland, 1844 and 1901. And what they did then, because we thought we were going to cover the losing locker room. So, you know, they, they, they sent the media down. We're sitting outside the Hawks locker room, probably with about five minutes to go to the game. They scored the two goals. Again, I'm watching on this little black and white TV outside the Hawks locker room. And they scored the two goals of which, again, I didn't see with my own eyes. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, we got to rush to go onto the ice because the Hawks are about to win the cup again. So, again, the, the stories as a reporter covering a team, sometimes you think you see everything. But in reality, I didn't see any of that. I had to go home <laughs> and watch it on tape, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, you're 0 for 2 on, on cup winning goals in the, for the right. Hawks in the first right. two cups. <laughs> Oh man, I just remember it's just losing my mind completely when I was just like so elated when the Hawks tied the game and I was like, this game's going to be incredible in overtime. And then out of nowhere, it's just a dump in that goes off the boards and Boland sneaks in behind the defense and puts it in, loses his gloves and his stick and just fist pumps. <laughs> I'm just like, did that just happen? I think there was complete shock in the stadium too. Because, like, the Hawks, for whatever reason, decide to win cups on the road all the time before 2015. And it's just silence. 
and and Boland was such a good guy. I mean, he was known as the rat. And uh, you know what? I, I understand that nickname was so perfect because he was such an instigator and such you loved him if you if you're a Chicago fan, you hated him if you were anybody else. Uh, but he was such a good guy and gave you what he could give you. And and really it was so cool that, you know, in, in this instance, it was not one of the big guns. It was Dave Boland. And I'm so happy that he got the acclaim that he got for scoring that game winner. And he he relished it. He definitely did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they put out their defensive line just to make sure that the game was going to go to OT right. and didn't even expect them to end up winning the game. And just what a play. <laughs> Jaren, what do you think about it? I just, I, I go back just thinking about, um, cause we talked both to Bolin and Bickle about that same moment. And Bolin was just ecstatic. Like he said, he just saw, he, it, he just went, he blacked out. He said, yeah, all you remember was the puck going in and his stuff was flying off. He's like, I had to go back and look and see what actually happened. Cause he was talking about boy check was the reason why he was all tingled up with boy Chuck and he just didn't want, he wanted to celebrate right away. So he just threw everything down. Cause I know we were all laughing. We're like, Oh, did he, he realized it wasn't overtime, right? Like the game still has to finish. Um, and then Bickle just saying like, he just got back to the bench after scoring his goal. He's sitting there. I think it was, he was saying Taves was the one pepping him up. Like, you know, way to go, man, way to go. And all of a sudden he just, he looks away for like the couple seconds and then boom, he's, he's like, Oh my God, we're going to win Stanley cup and the Stanley cup champions again. It's just, just, it's just the theme of this team is just don't come th- count them out. Never look past, look past them. And they're going to surprise you. And they're always going to give you the great moment. I want, want to remind everybody that you're listening to the Dynasty by Decade a podcast presented by DraftKings. We're talking about the Blackhawks winning the three Stanley Cups in 2010, 2013. They took a year off in 2014. Once again, the salary cap sort of bit them in the you-know-where. Um, and But then they regrouped and came back in 2015, guys. And so why don't we go right to the postseason? And once again, they started with Nashville. And Nashville almost became like Vancouver, the rival of... A little bit closer in territory, but you hated Nashville, you know, and they played that 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 sort of muck it up kind of uh, style hockey where it was really wasn't conducive for a lot of offense. Um, but eventually the Hawks broke them down and there was another triple overtime game in that series. Brent Seabrook once again winning a game in triple overtime. Um, but they finally won that series. And, you know, I'm glad I went back to Nashville because I think I left something from 2010 season. So I was able to retrieve it in 2015. There you go. It, they won game six down in, in Nashville, I believe it was, four to three after trailing three to one. So another instance, guys, where never count them out. They came back and they won the game. And this one was kind of triggered, too, by um, Coach Q keeping the short leash. He pulled Crawford after that first game and put Darling in the net. And that just that created the amazing story of the hometown kid, you know, coming and helping that team, you know, move on and eventually win their win his Stanley Cup. Yeah, he made some absolutely incredible saves. I think they still show highlights of like the one where he's just completely sprawled into like a split and just toe against the post, just absolutely denying one of the Nashville guys and just one of the more iconic like saves for the Hawks in that, that whole playoff run. And it's incredible because it's not Crawford. You would, Everybody would think that it was Crawford. Like if you go back and look at the team and – you just assume like, oh, they were so good because they had Crawford, but you don't realize that like at a certain point, like they had Auntie, or what was it, uh, Ranta, and Darlene wasn't even on the team. Then he took over Ranta's backup spot, 
And then he came in and was like pretty much a first round hero for the Hawks. Yeah. If it wasn't for him, I don't think Yeah, they don't, they don't win that series. Yeah. So every now and then in the postseason, the Hawks had an easier series. And I guess uh, round two was an easier series overall. I guess there's nothing easy in hockey, by the way. Wow. But <laughs> they did sweep Minnesota. Crawford got back in the nets and he was outstanding. I think he sort of had a little bit of a wake-up call from that opening series after getting pulled. Patrick Kane scored five goals in the four games. And they swept Minnesota and moved on to the conference finals against Anaheim, guys. I uh, just want to mention with Minnesota, that was actually the third third year in a row that they played Minnesota in the postseason. And in the first year was 2013 when it went five. And then 2014, it went six. And so everybody was assuming, oh, it's going to be like a hard fight, like seven games. got to be seven. No, Hawks just – no, it's going to only be four games. We're only doing four here. <laughs> but, yeah, the Anaheim series was – it's Anaheim was another one of those – during that time period, all the California teams were big, bruising teams. And that's what it ended up being against Anaheim as well. It was just, just a battle, like day in and day out. I mean, that's why you're lucky we have guys like Bickle and and when we had like Boland and like like even Buffalo like earlier on, like just those guys that we don't really have size at this point, but like they were able to like battle back and give our like skilled guys the chances they score, which they did. All right, so the Hawks trailed in that series. The, the series won seven. They trailed 3-2 going back to Anaheim. And, again, I just had that feeling that they're going to win this one. And, they once again, they came up big. Uh, Andrew Shaw um, scored two goals, I believe, in the third period to end up winning that game. And there's a lot of guys – Again, we talked about some of the lesser names, and and they're mm. they're big names to people like ourselves because we've been Hawk fans. But I got to give some credit to guys like Marcus Kruger, Antoine Vermette, who who came aboard that season. And and usually when you win a cup or you win any championship, there's some people that are added to a team that helps them. And, and Vermette was one of those guys who helped them. Um, you know, it was sort of a short stay overall in Chicago, but he certainly helped them that season. And then Game Seven back in Chicago, it was t- you know. It was a big game, uh, and the big names came through in that game. Yeah. Taze had a couple of goals. Kane had three assists. The Hawks won five to three. And guess what, guys? We're going back to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, they ended up playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I mean that's this is the Stamkos Tampa Bay Lightning. This is pre Kucherov, so this is right. still still a good team. I think they had Marty St. Louis at the time still too, who is just also absolutely an incredible player. I'm trying to see if they maybe they didn't have oh, so this was, <laughs> I feel like they had him, but yeah, yeah. Tyler Johnson was like really where he put his name on the oh, map. Yeah. Kucherov was like, I believe this is one of his first seasons. He had an amazing playoff. So it was, I mean, it was a scary final to go into. It was there's definitely a different feel. I think this was the first of the three that I was kind of like, oh man, this might, this might be the one. Like this might be the one they drop. And it's didn't start off that way. They had a big first game in Tampa Bay, um, pick up that 2-1 win. Yeah, I think in that 2-1 win, too, like the whole game, the Hawks kind of looked outplayed. And then towards the end of the game, Tebu Teravainen ends up scoring it to tie it up. And then the big pickup was Antoine Vermette from that trade deadline because he ends up ending the game. It doesn't even make it to an overtime. And it just kind of seemed like that was a little bit of the – the series was that the Hawks were kind of going to battle and squeak out the wins. 
Yeah, so that series, they split the first two in Tampa. They split the two in Chicago. It's 2-2. They go down to Tampa. I think they were trailing 2-1, but they scored a couple of unanswered goals. So it's 3-2, and they're coming home with a chance to win the Cup in Chicago. And I got a little bit of a story here, uh, a little personal story. The night before the last game, I got very sick. And I don't know, the, my doctor said, you know, it's the only time other than being born that I've ever spent a night in the hospital, the doctor said I had some kind of intestinal disease or I don't know what the hell he was talking about. I think I had bad pizza because I remember the pizza, I ate it the, like the night before the game and there was some mushrooms on it. And I think the mushrooms are tainted or something. Who knows? <laughs> Or maybe they were magic mushrooms. I'm not really sure. Anyway, <laughs> I got really, really sick. And I was in the hospital up until the morning of the final game, which turned out to be the final game. And I had to beg this gastrointestinal doctor. I said, look, man, the Stanley Cup finals is at the United Center tonight. You got to let me go. And I sort of bribed the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I went and I was really sick, but it didn't make a difference. Uh, I, I've been sick covering sporting events before. But the momentum and, you know, covering the, you know, again, a championship on the home ice this time, which was different than obviously Philadelphia and Boston, the two previous cup finals gave me that sort of momentum that I needed to cover that game. And of course the Hawks won the game two nothing shutout. Corey Crawford wasn't the hardest game for him, but you know, he stopped all 25 saves. Patrick Kane, of course, had a goal. And then the party was on the ice and the fans stayed for long after the game, long after the game in their, in their seats. And, and the players were so, so jubilant. And once again, we interviewed them all on the ice after the game. It was just a cool feeling guys. Yeah. Was there, was there any other difference feeling it at home versus like on the road? I'm I'm sure that just the fans being there makes it so much better, but like, was it like there a clear atmosphere change, like clear, like that you could feel? Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, you're on, you're, you're at home. That's the, yeah. the major difference. And it's interesting because, you know, when the White Sox won their world series in 05 and I was with them on the field in Houston, but a lot of Sox fans were behind the Sox dugout for that. The Cubs won in 16, same thing, even though it was raining after the game, all the Cleveland people parted, you know, like the Red Sea, but you know, the, the Cub fans stuck around this, you know, and like I said, the first two cup finals in Philadelphia and Boston, you know, there was some Hawk fans, but you know, very few and far between, but this time 20,000 plus people stuck around for about 45 minutes, at least after the game and cheered and cheered and cheered and cheered. It's just a cool feeling guys. Real cool. And this was also a story we got from Bickle that they knew that locker room was being redone that off season. So they, they partied. They, matured, yeah, they were rock stars, which they were, but they, they, they got to live out the rock star fantasy of just destroying the locker room. And they did <laughs> mission accomplished. You know, it's interesting. You talked about, uh, you know, when we interviewed the players in Philly and Boston and all this, well, at least the Stanley cup finals, not some of the other series, we went into the locker rooms, but for the Stanley cup finals, when they won, we didn't go into the locker rooms. We did all our interviews on the ice, which was fine. It was, it was okay. We still had champagne dumped on our head and all that kind of good stuff. But we did see the aftermath because I stuck around for at least a couple of hours long after the game. We did go into the Hawks locker room just to see that they did destroy it. Mission <laughs> accomplished. They definitely destroyed it. 
As long as nobody stepped on the logo in the center, I think. No, no, okay. that, that, that's a story in itself. Anytime somebody stepped on one of those logos, but unbeknownst to them, boy, you got chastised by the players. It's sort of a goofy thing, but I understand it. It became a tradition. So you know what? You had you had to like be sort of like a, like a gymnast sometime and sort of like walk, you know, like slither your body here and there just to walk around it, especially when it was crowded in there. Oh yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, how does how would you say possibly that the the Blackhawks dynasty compares to one like we were talking about before, like with like Edmonton? Well, of course, Edmonton, much like the New York Islanders previous to them, I think they won theirs in succession, you know, yeah. so it's like one, 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 you know, onward and upward. The Hawks had a retool in a lot of instances, but the common denominator, and like I said, the frosting on the cake um, was when they were able to draft both Taze and Kane. And by the way, once again, this this podcast is presented by DraftKings. We got to get that in there. But, you know, a bunch of Hall of Famers, um, you know, Duncan Keith will go to the hall. Taze and Kane will definitely go to the hall. Uh, Marion Hosa will be a hall of famer at some point. And I got to say this about Marion Hosa, and it's unfortunate the way he had to retire, unfortunately, because of the skin disease. One of the strongest players, much like Bobby Hull, who, when I was a kid, you could not take him off the puck. If he had the puck on his stick, I don't care if there were two guys coming at him, he would hold them off and, and be able to wheel around them. But, you know, Kane and Taze were the common denominators. But they lost players after 10. They lost players after 13. Unfortunately, they have never been able to retool after 15 to this juncture. Um, and I'm not so sure that they will with Kane and Taze still around. Kane is still at the top of his game. And I pray to God that Taze is able to come back from whatever was, you know, on, you know, keeping him out this past season. But what a pleasure to watch all these players. And Patrick Kane, you know, we, we had sit up way, way, way up, you know, at the United Center, which is fine for hockey, not for basketball, <laughs> because you can look down on the ice and see everything. And, and Patrick Kane, among so many other great qualities that he has, his peripheral vision is second to none because he would make passes to people that I don't know if, I don't know if, how he saw them. You know, he's great a goal scorer, and he's over 400 at this point. His, his, his assist, you know, passes that he made were just off the charts. So very, very fortunate all of us as fans have been able to watch all these players over all these years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something you touched on earlier on the, in the episode was about how Patrick Kane and being a little bit immature when he first got drafted and then where he's become now where he's like basically the leader in the locker room, yep. the leader on the ice and he's showing everybody how it's done. Cause he's experienced it all at this point. He's won three cups. He's, he's been in the Olympics. Like he's played all these major games and he's leading this new Hawks young core onto what they want to do and possibly more championships in the future. Well, I hope so. I mean, yeah. they, they really have to retool at this point. And like I said, you know, with, with uh, you know, Tay's absence this past season certainly hurt them. It goes without saying, but it was more than just that, um, you know, and they've lost, uh, you know, the, the Hawks have this tradition of what's called uh, the last shift or whatever it's called, yeah. you know, upcoming over the next year or two. And, and hopefully next season, the fans will be a hundred percent in attendance you're going to get some great players taking that last shift for the Hawks because a lot of these guys have recently retired. Yeah. So, and I'm, I only hope that, you know, again, the building is full and I'm able to be in attendance to see that. And I'll tell you what, as a fan, much less a reporter, 
I'll stand up and applaud at each and every one of them. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of go back real quick to what you're saying, asking about Tanner about being like, you know, where they rank in dynasty. I think that they do. Um, I know this can, can sound biased, but I do think that they have one of the more impressive dynasties in history do because of that whole cap, the cap issues and all that. No other team has ever had to face the cap, you know, the cap restraints that the Hawks did. They had to retool, as you said, retool and all that. And I think that when it's all said and done, when this team is officially, that team's officially retired and gone on the league. Um, it's a team that's a, a dynasty that's going to possibly can go into the hall of fame as a team and be like, you know, you'll see a little section, the 2010 Hawks between the 2015 Hawks and this whole story is going to be out there for, and it's going to be a great, a great story to tell, you know, future generations of Hawks fans. Well, guys, I've had a really fun time doing this. You know, it's brought back a lot of memories, and I appreciate talking to two other guys who, you know, also witnessed it and, and felt the same way that I did. Again, it was tough being a reporter because the fan in me wanted to jump out of my seat, but yet, you're, you know, no cheering in the press box and all that kind of nonsense. But you know what? I would go home and I would have a couple of beers after some of those games and I would relish what I just saw. That was the fan in me, but this has been a lot of fun and I really appreciate, you know, being able to be part of this with you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've had a great time. I mean, on our side over here, it's been an enjoyment and I just want to remind everybody that this has been just the dynasty by decade presented by DraftKings. We've just gone over the Chicago Blackhawks when they're Stanley Cup champions in 2010, 2013, and 2015. Anything else from you guys? No. I will say good night. And, uh, you know, I, I might just go put on some of those tapes of those games. Just live it again. It makes me want to watch it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening. We've had a good time doing this. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.